Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the July 31st, 2022 session, focusing on Psalm 49, Wealth That Matters. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Wealth That Matters. I'm kind of curious now. Well, speaking of wealth, um, we all get to decide what we spend our money on, and or at least sometimes. And... I know for me, there are some areas that it's just better if I avoid them because the temptation to spend the money is easier to embrace there than with other things. And so I'm, I'm curious if you have something like that. Is there an area of your life uh, or, or an area, something that costs money that is super tempting to you? It's not necessarily something. It's more somewhere. Like, I can I can need nothing, but I go into Trader Joe's and I see everything that I need. Yes, yes. Trader Joe's does it for me, man. Good is there a particular <laughs> is there a particular aisle that that gets you? Um, no, I would say I mean there's there's always a new you know like uh, food item that I have not tried, or um, yeah, everything everything looks so good. <laughs> Trader Joe's, they know what they are doing. They do know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, for me, it although it has changed, like we've talked about before, some things change as you get older. For me, until about three years ago, which is scary, uh, it was music, record albums, especially, and then CDs. And I've got, I've got tons and tons and tons of CDs hanging in little tiny milk crates all over my wall, and in here and in two other rooms, I have records and records and records all over the place. If somebody had a new record coming out, I needed to get it. And then I needed to go to the used record store and buy the previous records that I did not yet own. Um, and it was troublesome for <laughs> for my wife, especially, <laughs> even though she was a record collector too. I was like her times 10. So yes, but in recent years, it's gotten easier for me to say, eh, I don't need that. <laughs> For most, for the most part. For the most part. So I probably have different things at different periods of my life. Right now, I imagine it really is probably skincare products. Like I love to buy a good mask that smells good. I love a good eye cream. I love the next best favorite potion or lotion. Um, yeah, skincare products are always going to get it for me. And those things are expensive. That can get really pricey. So I have to be very it's disciplined. It's funny. It's with with skincare stuff. The the less that they put in the jar, the more. The more one hundred percent. That's yeah. how that works. I, it's like clothing. The smaller it is, the less yeah. there is, the more expensive that it it is. So, yeah, yeah. Well, mine is not too far from Bert's. I I have this audiophile addiction. So, you know, music is important, but the the experience of listening to the music deeply and carefully and listening for the timbre of the strings and the particular snap of the drum. And the, it, it's, it's addictive because then you're on this path where you're constantly, well, if I tweak this, I'll bet I could get a little bit better sound. And so, yeah. So like I recently got a new DAC and nobody needs it, but a DAC is a digital audio converter. It takes the digital signals and converts them into the analog sound waves that Put the amplifier pushes to your speakers. Anyway, that's Thank already you. more than you wanted to know. 
<laughs> and uh, yes, I, I have. It's a real affliction. Thankfully, I've learned that I that what I really enjoy is the researching. And so I could just find some aspect that I research like crazy and go, well, I can't afford that. And then I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I, I can do that more now that I have the equipment I want <laughs> than when I, when I was trying to build it. But anyway, yeah, I think we all have those areas where um, we are easily tempted to spend. Mm-hmm. Well, we have, we have a psalm today that maybe is going to lead us into a little more of this conversation. Uh, Daniel, would you help get us started? I'll be glad to. So perhaps our most famous Christian Old Testament scholar today, Walter Brueggemann, says this about Psalm 49. This psalm is particularly important and surely pertinent in a contemporary society that is, quote, rich in things and poor in soul. If you agree, and of course you agree, it's Brueggemann, then we have a lot to learn from Psalm 49. That's a good thing, because as the first verses of the psalm state, the intention of Psalm 49 is to teach. Hear this, all you peoples. Give ear, rich and poor together. Mouths speaking wisdom, ears listening to a proverb, solving wordles. I mean, riddles, 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 sorry. So what is Psalm 49 trying to teach us? The first thing we learn is that everyone, rich, poor, wise, dumb, we are all going to die. Sorry to be so morbid today, but surely I'm not surprising you. The truth is we are not made to live on earth forever. Quote, mortals are like the animals that perish, the psalmist says. Another key lesson for us is that because we will one day die, Accumulating wealth beyond our need and trusting in that wealth for security, well, those are among the foolish things we can do. The psalmist says, do not be afraid when some become rich, when the wealth of their houses increases. For when they die, they will care nothing away. Their wealth will not go after them. Harsh? Yes. True? Also, yes. So have we learned these lessons? Have we tried to spread out the wealth so that all may have enough? Not even close. The pandemic has made the already incredible gap between the rich and poor even more so, and it is obscene. In our nation, the top 1% own more wealth than the bottom 92%. The three richest Americans, three, own more wealth than the bottom 164 million people combined. And the three richest families have more than the combined wealth of the 48 poorest countries. Does that make us mad? Embarrassed? Outraged? I love how comedian Jim Gaffigan puts it. He says, sadly, we live in an age where if I start talking about a tech billionaire pretend astronaut, you have to ask, which one? Yes, tragically, when some of us have more wealth than they need, more wealth than, they, than really can be earned ethically, 
And rather than using wealth to solve world hunger or create cheaper medicines or education for every girl, no matter where she's born, instead we have a culture that prizes rocket tourism over meeting human need. Indeed, we need this wisdom of Psalm 49. And we better learn it fast, because as the Bible teaches us over and over, the way we treat the poor determines our eternity. The lectionary brilliantly pairs this passage with the parable Jesus tells in Luke 12, where the rich man builds bigger and bigger barns, while God says, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? As Jesus says in that passage, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So why in the world do we trust so mightily in them? It's easy for me to castigate those who are incredibly wealthy and say, look at them, they're the problem. But if I'm honest, I'm not so much different. (laughs) To be sure, it's on another scale, but not much difference. I don't go to bed hungry. I buy things I want but don't need. I have clothes in my closet that still have the tags on them. I don't give away as much money as I should. I throw out way too much food. Did I really need to upgrade to leather seats when buying my car? Did I need a television that big? Do I need so much stuff? Do people who have less than I do look at me the same way I look at those billionaires? We are all guilty of idolizing wealth and possessions and stuff we don't need to the neglect of those God has called us to serve. Now is the time. Now is the time for us to fill our lives with the wealth that matters. Friendship, love, justice, wholeness. If we must be greedy, let us be greedy in those things. And may we listen to and truly heed Psalm 49 once again. And that's a little background on our text for today. Is it me, or when we talk about money, do we get a little nervous? It's not just you. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it's not just you. I feel like this episode might need a trigger warning. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. For all of us. Yeah. Mm. Why is money so hard to talk about? I don't know. I I think because theologically, it is our God. Mm. It is our God, and we don't want to admit that because we think it's a tool from God to bless us. And if we've got it, then God has blessed us. And if we've got it, we've earned it because we've worked hard for it. And, you know, I remember hearing a, a pastor... Cornell West. It was Reverend Dr. Cornell West who said something about um, money, and it's the it's not money. Remember, it's not money itself that's evil. It's the love of money that is evil, and you cannot serve God and Mammon. Jesus says, and and uh, Cornell West goes on this whole thing. He's talking on a, to a late night show host. I uh, can't remember the name, and he says, you know, money's a tool. Money is just a tool. It's neither good nor bad. Um, but if you use it for others um, 
take care of yourself because you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Then it's and, and but then you stop and let the overflow to others. It's nothing wrong with it, but most of us can never decide when we've had enough of it to let any of it spill out because we always need more and more and more and more and more. Mm. And and I think the great lie that many of us have bought have been, you know, the people who get richer have earned it, and then they will be responsible to help solve the world's problems. But we're finding out now. They're not using their money to solve the world's problems, as you mentioned, Daniel. Well, I, I think it's also, um, it's so private, right? I mean, mm. y'all don't know what's in my bank account. Right. You don't know how much I owe in the house. And I don't, I don't, I'm not eager to share that. And you're probably not eager to know it, right? No. And there's this, I mean, even like, you know, you get a new car and people are like, I wonder how much that cost. <laughs> um, I mean- we are, it's part of our socialization that there is like a cone of silence around how, how much we make, how we spend it, what we do with it. And mm. I'm not saying that the privacy is bad, but I'm saying it's part of why we probably feel awkward talking about it because yeah. it's like so many other parts of our lives that are very private. And once you start asking somebody to talk about them, <laughs> it gets uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. In fact, I, I mean, have you noticed this phenomenon? Someone will say, I, I love that shirt. I love that dress. Target, $12. It's, yeah, it's almost like, oh, you know, we yeah. have to, it's, it's a, it's a compensation kind of thing yep. that, oh, I did, I didn't really pay what you may think I did when they don't care how much they're just telling you it's a nice right. outfit. And, and it's interesting. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I think this is at the root of a lot of churches' secrecy with money. Mm-hmm. We talk about mm-hmm. we say, you know, the only the treasurer will know your gift. And and if you if you press anyone on that, they'll say, well, because giving's a private matter between God and me. I say, well, show me where that is in scripture or 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 defend it practically. I suspect it's we, we that's more an issue of our reluctance to talk about money. Oh, and yeah. the corrupting influences than it is about any sort of personal piety I want to give anonymously. And how um, convenient that it's that way. Absolutely. Right? I've but often go, said Go ahead. Go ahead, David. No. Go ahead. You've often said I, I, I was just gonna say I, I've often said that as as a pastor, somehow I'm allowed to ask about any spiritual discipline. What you know, are you are you studying scripture? How's your uh, communal worship? Are you praying? Are you you know all that? But when it comes to give to giving, yeah, or or to to being generous with the poor, that's somehow off the table. Mm. We we cannot ask each other about that. Uh, it's, not only is it wrong, I think it's that's heresy. So yes, and, and it's different in the white church tradition. Yes. So think about it. The white church tradition, typically, I mean, not always. There's certainly poverty in 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 white communities, but many in many communities, you know. The more affluent populations are the white populations, and our churches hold with an incredible amount of privacy around financial matters. But you go into many black churches, and I remember the first time I was in a black church and the offering was called and everybody was, the ushers were going down the aisle, and each time they'd get to a new pew, that pew would empty and walk down front. And there was a basket that was being held, and you pulled your money out in front of everybody, and you put it in the basket, and then you moved back around to your seat. It was a very public expression. It felt incredibly strange to me, <laughs> having mm-hmm. been raised, you know, in a different tradition. 
But I think it's worth thinking about that in the black church where there is much greater uh, scale of need, uh, lower incomes, and so on and so forth, isn't it interesting that that money is a much more communal conversation there than it is in the communities where money is more mm-hmm. present. Okay, uh, no, that, that's that's fascinating, and and studies have shown both both congregationally and in society as a whole that the the higher up you go on the the econ- socioeconomic scale, yeah. the lower percentage of giving, and the lower you go, the the less people have the more generous they are with what they have. Yeah, and isn't that interesting? Sometimes I've had to, it's like pulling teeth as a pastor to try to, to try to get somebody you know who has stuff and has wealth just sitting in bank accounts. Look, there's this real need either for this person or this family or this church. Can you give us something? You know, you got to really work hard to prove it's, it's a valuable investment. And then... I was at a church not so long ago, a church service not so long ago, not not when we were doing it at our church, and um, actually helped pass around the offering plate. And I'm, I'm careful how I say this. A a someone I know. <laughs> let, let me let me. Someone who has come here from another country, who's doing very hard labor, who truly is living, not even paycheck to paycheck, cash to cash as it's given to him. When the offering plate, when I walked by with the offering plate, he grabbed me and held on to me until he grabbed a two dollars out of his wallet. I said, "No, no, no, no." He he says, "Oh no," and he put his two dollars in. And he opened his wallet, and I see there wasn't much left in there. And he he wanted to give because he thought somebody could use this two dollars. And it's that whole, like you talked about, the difference between white and black church. It's just a powerful thing. And our desire to give and to share versus the desire to hoard. Mm -hmm. I I honestly believe talking about it more surely will lessen its power over us. I have to believe that, you know, the, the, the power of money over us. But I, our reluctance to discuss it is on the one hand understandable, but on the other is not Christ like. Because if, if you want to go through the Gospels and put a check in each column, you know, in the topics Jesus discuss, he talks about money more than he does faith, heaven, prayer, anything else. And so if, if we're going to be followers of Christ, and we're, most of us claim to be, then there's, there's our example right there. The more we talk— I think it has to it has to lessen the the power of wealth over us. Mm-hmm. This has been such an interesting conversation. I've had so many thoughts going through my head um, as as I've been listening to you all talk about it. And I think everything I'm y'all are spot on with the reasons this is difficult to talk about. I wonder if another reason is the immense individualism that we have in our country. And the reason that I point to that is I was thinking about people who who have gotten themselves in trouble with money, right? So people whose credit, who maybe they are a part of more affluent communities, but they're living with a credit card debt that they can barely 
manage? Um, because we know that that's a very difficult problem. Or maybe it's student loan debt, which is a whole nother conversation, but that can also be something that really binds people from being able to do things. And maybe they feel like they can't give for one reason or another. And I think that our individualism um, causes us to not talk about this very much. And it, we silo ourselves from one another. Um, and I think that the way that we manage our money really needs to be a more communal thing because when we silo ourselves and live in these little silent money worlds of our own, if we do get into trouble, we can't reach out and ask for help or, Hey, say, I don't know what I'm doing and, and, and get help from someone. Cause we're not supposed to talk about it. Right. Mm, and, and mm. I think that there's a lot of shame mm -hmm. as well at shame around maybe on both ends of the spectrum, right? So if I have an obscene amount of wealth, I don't want anybody to see how much I really have because, well, I'm kind of ashamed of it. Or if we have struggle with money and we're on the other end of that spectrum, we have a lot of shame because I have not managed my money well. I've made some mistakes and then other things happened and then this and then that and everything piled on top and now I've got a mountain of credit card debt. And so we don't want anybody to see. And so I don't know if... Finding a way to talk about money in a more communal way can help us with both of those extremes. I think you're exactly right, and I, I agree with you. Uh, you started talking about the, the morality around it, you know, that, or the the projected morality on it. Right, you know that right, if right. if folks are if folks are wealthy, then they must be good, and if folks are poor, then mm -hmm. they must be bad. And right. and there's the shame that that goes along with that, and. I think we in the church can do better. We've perpetuated some of that. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I am trying to, I'm struggling to remember where I was, but I, I remember it. I, I remember vividly the, the experience, but not where I was, but I was, I was in a church and uh, they were putting out uh, in the, the insert to the bulletin, I guess I was on vacation and the insert to the bulletin was the, the deacons that had been proposed for election. And they had everyone's name and his or her profession underneath. And I thought, that's that's interesting. And I thought, why, why is that? Is it just to give some biographical information? If it is, then why don't you put their spouse's name or their hometown or, you know, mm -hmm. something like that? But why, why would you choose their, their profession? How, how, does, how does the fact that so-and-so is a banker make her or him a better deacon. Mm. And, and so I, maybe I'm cynical, or, but I had to conclude that they listed profession because they felt that that is important and the wealth that one earns from that is important. Mm -hmm. Because I'd really be surprised if they said John Doe unemployed right, or Jane Doe cafeteria worker. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting off topic. We can do better. We can do better with that. We, we as the church can do better at, at, at not stigmatizing and and not making moral judgments based on wealth, because that that, too, is part of the issue. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of the letter to James, right? Showing favoritism mm -hmm. to the people mm -hmm. who seem successful, mm -hmm. wealthy, powerful, have made it, and ignoring the the people who have it. Yeah. 
I have to say, I'm really glad that this conversation went in this direction because we could have sat here and kind of rehashed all the reasons that we're not supposed to hold on to wealth, all the reasons that we're supposed to be generous and give it away, because that's the kind of thing that we talk about on here. Um, And I think a lot of our listeners know all those things. (laughs) I think that church community knows that Money is the thing Jesus talked about the most, and the people he criticized about it the most were those who held on to it and those who did not share their wealth with others. These are bad things. These are not the way that God wants us to live. God wants us to be generous. God wants us to give money away, period. That's what scripture tells us. But trying to figure out why it is so difficult for us to engage in those conversations, I think, is a much more fruitful conversation to have. Uh, and I'd love to know if our listeners have fruitful conversations around that because we could all learn from one another around this. Yeah, Nikki, you're you're more hopeful and kinder than than I am. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think most of our churches know that's what the Bible says. Mm. I still hear people tell me, and, and churches like ours sometimes, uh, Jesus talked more about hell than he did anything else. And mm. I look at him and said, No, he didn't. He talked about money. Uh, right. You know, and, and then like, no. And then, um, but anyway, so I'm no, yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. But, yeah. but th- th- this reminds me of something else. The, the late, great Harry Chapin um, used to ask, any, anytime he did concerts, he would use some type of social, local charity involved to bring money, you know, food, food, clothing, shelters, all that kind of stuff, bring stuff as, you know, canned goods when you come to the concert and he would get it distributed. And one time it was around Thanksgiving and he says, look, nobody doubts how generous we are at Thanksgiving. You know, we'll collect food, we'll collect bags of stuff. Your grocery stores will say, buy an extra grocery bag for a needy family. We're always thankful. And that's great. That's wonderful. Nobody wants anybody to be hungry at Thanksgiving. Now, Let's ask what we're going to do tomorrow and the other 364 days before next Thanksgiving about somebody who's hungry and families who are hungry. What are we going to do then? And that's the kind of conversations we need to be having uh, around money and around Scripture and around the church's responsibility. Hmm. So I I had selected as our closing a, a quote from Thomas Merton, but I'm not going to use it. Um, <laughs> for all the reasons Nikki just described, that I think most of us have a sense of, uh, uh, you know, of the issues that we could discuss, you know, from a cognitive head standpoint. What I really want to do instead is a little philosophy. Um, <laughs> so when I was in, um, when I was at college, I remember becoming very interested in the realm of philosophy called aesthetics, which is the study of art. Of beauty, um, and so the question that was po- that's posed in most any aesthetics textbook is, uh, what is art? How, how do we decide what is art and what is not? And you know, it's an interesting question. It probably doesn't matter, right? But it does. The reason I got interested in it was, as one explores the conversation of what is art, what is beauty. You, you also start bumping into questions of value because once you identify something as art, you have just adjusted value for that item or that expression because it may be dance, it may be music, it may be a painted piece. It doesn't take but two or three steps 
and you're suddenly in ethics having the same conversations. What is good? What is right? And once you start identifying what is good and what is right, you're having value conversations again. Because hopefully, hopefully, the good action, the right action, is, is a valuable action. That's the one we should pursue, right? Hmm. And it's also the case that when we start talking about money, we are talking about value. Because as a people, we like to assign value to things. So when I go in the produce section and I see a bunch of tomatoes, I don't just reach in there and grab one. Oh, I've got to check out the color, and is there a spot on it that's been bruised? And is it really large enough? And you know what I'm saying? We could do this with any number of things that we just daily deal with. We are so accustomed to assigning value to that which surrounds us. The issue, I think, for faith and what we've been talking about here, or also identifying that we don't like to talk about, is that at the heart of so much of what is going on in our culture and in our churches are questions of value. The question of what is valuable, but more importantly, who is valuable. And the way we handle money and the way we are able to talk about money or not bumps up against all of these same value questions. And it may be, my theory would be, the reason Jesus talks so much about money is because Jesus knows that the human being is a value engine. And mm. we, <laughs> we are assessing value at every point. Whether it's the car next to me, and why does it have a busted out window or a missing hubcap? Or it's the house next door that needs painting? Or it's someone in shabby clothing? Or it's someone who looks like they haven't had a bath in a while? Or a billion reasons that I might assign value or not to someone or something. All I'm saying is <laughs> that I think if this psalm is an invitation for us to talk about what's valuable to us and what's valuable to God and to begin becoming more comfortable having those conversations about value because they affect everything from what's right and wrong to who's in and out to you name it, what's valuable, who's valuable. I think uh, one of the reasons that we are comfortable here on this podcast talking about these things is, well, we'll talk about anything, but <laughs> we, we also have done it for long enough that we trust each other. We trust each other to hear each other with respect. And even when, when like Daniel in his intro calls us out, we can take it because we, we trust that he's got our interest at heart. I hope that your group can begin to foster, if you haven't already, that level of trust among each other. And it takes time, and it's not automatic. But to begin finding ways to create a safe space in your time together where you can begin talking about the important issues that Jesus talks about, including what's valuable. Well, that's my sermon. <laughs> and... Uh, it's a, it's a great conversation. I hope we'll continue having it. Um, but I'm also eager to talk about something else, just like all of you, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, thank you all for the trust to have this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.